And uh, really, Matthew is, is uh, telling his own testimony here. So Matthew is the gospel writer who wrote the book of Matthew. We're in the book of Matthew. Matthew is the author of that book. He is a disciple. And he's really telling his own story here. So he's telling his own conversion story, his own story of how he came to follow Jesus. And so that, that's kind of a neat thing that he gets to tell that. We are going to be looking at Luke 5, too. So if you're, if you're one of those people that likes to keep a ribbon or a bookmark in, in uh, another part, we're going to be looking at Luke 5, too, because it's, it's Luke's version of Matthew's story, of his testimony. And, you know, what you're going to see about Matthew is any of the information that might make him look good, you know, that, that might kind of be like bragging on himself, he leaves out, you know. And so, uh, so we're thankful for Luke because uh, Matthew don't want to brag on himself, but Luke's okay bragging on Matthew. And so Luke kind of gives us some more information that's going to be helpful as, as we walk through this, this story of Matthew's conversion and kind of what it teaches us, not only about coming to be a follower of Christ, but also it, it teaches us a lot about what it means to be on mission for Jesus. And that's the part that I'm, I'm really excited about sharing with you today. So if you'd like to stand, we often do this in this service, you can stand and we'll read the Word of God this morning. Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to read uh, <clears throat> verse 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And aren't we thankful for that? Father, we thank you for uh, the word of God this morning. And Father, our, our hearts are in desperate need of of your work, of your uh, tweaking. And God, we want you to take the sin out of our hearts, God. We want you to take the disobedience out, Father. Lord, if we are ignoring your commands, if we are neglecting mercy, God, we repent of that this morning and we pray that you would teach us to obey. We thank you, Father, for the beauty of the gospel here. We thank you for saving us. We celebrate that this morning. And Father, we pray that you would Use us, God, to bring scandalous sinners to yourself. Man, God, we want to see that. Make us this type of person. Make us like Matthew. Make us like Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So let's talk about Matthew. So what do we know about Matthew? Well, uh, the, th- the detail, the key detail that Matthew gives us in his account is that when Jesus calls him to be a disciple, he is sitting at the tax booth, okay? Now, what does that tell us about Matthew? That tells us he was a tax collector. Now, what, what does that mean to be a tax collector? It means something different than today, okay? So if you automatically think IRS agent, you know, you might not have a great, you know, kind of feeling about an IRS agent. It's really, it's really not like that at all. It's much, much, much worse than that, okay? So a tax collector in, in Jesus' day meant this, okay? So Rome has come in, and they have, by their superior military, they have overtaken Israel, okay? So they came in with their army, and they 
defeated Israel, and they occupied the nation. So now they're, they're controlling Israel by, from a military standpoint, all right? Now, what Rome does is, is they, they hire Jewish people, okay? Actually, probably the Jews would bid on this, kind of like you'd bid on a franchise. They would bid on being able to collect taxes, okay? And what that meant was Rome said, okay, you owe us this much money. Right, so you got to go collect that from, from the people. But anything you collect over that, that's yours. That, that's, your, that's your salary, okay? Now, if you're kind of running that in your mind, you can see where that would go bad, right? Like if you have the ability to collect your own salary, you know, if you have the ability to charge prices that not only, you know, you pay to Rome what's owed, but now you can make pretty much an endless amount of money just depending on how much you can extort from people, and you have the Roman military behind you to do it, all right? Can you see why these people were hated? They, they were seen as being extortioners. They were seen as being almost like the mob, you know, you might think of them. They were seen as being brutal and as being wicked and as being unrighteous, okay? They were rich. They were all rich. All the tax collectors in the Bible, they, they're seen as being rich because, because of the amount of money they're able to extort from others. They're, they're seen as having great possessions, and everybody hates them because of that, all right? So when you think of tax collector, when, when you come into our society, I want you to think of people who you would think, these aren't spiritual type of people. These aren't church people. These aren't good good people. These aren't moral people. These aren't nice people, all right? Luke 18 actually gives us a great little setup to this passage because in this passage that we just looked at, you've got Matthew and his tax collector friends, and then you've got the Pharisees. Those are kind of the, the key players in this passage, okay? So Luke 18 puts those two together and gives us a, a picture of how they thought about each other, okay? So let me, let me read that to you. I'll, I'll read half of it. We'll come back to the rest at the end of the sermon. In Luke 18, verse uh, 9, he says, He told a parable uh, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. So you got a Pharisee here who sees a tax collector who's over in the corner, and he says, here's what I know about that guy. He's an extortioner. He's an adulterer. He's an immoral guy. He's unjust. He's not a good person. God, I thank you that I am not like that guy. You see how people would have thought of tax collectors in that day. So to, to try to transfer that to our day, I want you to think of the most scandalous person you, you know. I want you to think of the most, maybe, maybe you think of as a not a good person. Maybe you think of them as a wicked person, as an unjust person. That's how people would have thought of Matthew. And what you have here in verse 9 is you have Jesus walking by while Matthew is in his tax office, turning to him and saying, follow me, follow me. Follow me is the way that Jesus invited people into a relationship with himself. Follow me is the way that Jesus primarily in the Gospels called people out of sin and into a relationship with God through him. Okay, so, so Jesus is calling Matthew to be a disciple. He is inviting Matthew to be a disciple. And I want you to notice that he is doing this before Matthew cleans up his life. That's really important. There's a lot of folks that almost give off the impression or believe about themselves that you must clean up your life 
before you come to Jesus. Man, this guy, Matthew, Matthew, make sure we understand it. He is sitting in his tax office, right? He's not like left the tax office and gone to a revival meeting and sat through the revival meeting and cried and then come forward. No, no, no. He is sitting in his tax office. Jesus walks by before he has a chance to get things right, before he has a chance to, to, to make things right with the, those that he's extorted money from and harmed. Before any of that, Jesus says, you... I'm inviting you to come after me. You know what's really cool about that? Is that Jesus, <laughs> how, how, how do I say this? I mean, I, I, I just love this, that Jesus doesn't assume that he wouldn't be interested. Isn't that cool? Like, like so many times I think we put people in categories. We're, we're, we're terrible about this. You know, so, so we look at a person and we're like, well, they're a soccer mom, you know, they're upper middle class, they drive a minivan, you know, they have a Brighton purse and uh, they would be interested in Jesus probably. I should invite them to church. And then we look at somebody else and we're like, oh man, you know, they dress this way, they've got that background, I've heard this about them, they're living in this relationship, you know, they probably would not be interested in it. What? Where did we get that? We did not get that from the Gospels. Because what we clearly see Jesus doing is walking by very scandalous people who nobody thought would be interested in spiritual things and calling them out of that life to follow him. That's what we see in the scriptures. And man, I love that. And then look at verse 9. It says that Jesus passed by on there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting in, in this tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And then Matthew simply says, and he arose and followed him. He got up and followed him. Now, I like Luke better here. Luke, Matthew didn't want to brag on himself, but Luke gives a detail that I think is really important. In Luke 5, 28, he says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Do you, do you see what Luke includes there? He left everything, all right? You know, Matthew was a rich guy. He had a real lucrative contract with the Roman government, and he just walked away from it. He walked away from a contract with the Roman government that he can't ever walk back to. He walked out of a, an income that he can never make again. You know, so to put this in our, our terms today, Matthew walks away from hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe, maybe half a million dollars, maybe a million dollars. Matt, you know what Matthew understood? You, you, you know the theology behind this? So, so I, know, I know the passage doesn't say this, but, but it says he rose and he left everything and followed him. You, you, know, you know what's going on in Matthew's heart? He sees that Jesus is better than anything. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Matthew sees. Somehow the Spirit of God reveals to Matthew that all that he's lived for, all that he's built, all that he's, that he's had to extort and, and cheat and get, what, what God shows Matthew through the power of the Holy Spirit is that this Jesus, this carpenter from Galilee, this, this man of God, that he is worth all of that, and he walks away from it. I think of Philippians. Paul did the same thing, by the way. But Paul goes ahead and explains it to us. And so let me, let me read you Paul's version of how he came to see that Jesus is better. Okay, in, Matthew, in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3, 7, he says, well, whatever gain I had, okay, whatever gain Paul had in his life as a Pharisee, as, as, a, as a kind of a ruler of his people, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, because of the surpassing worth. You hear that? That is beautiful. Because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and come to count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness of God that comes through faith. That's what happens to Matthew. Matthew has a reordering of his life. Okay, He sees Jesus. He hears the call to follow. And Matthew reorders his life, showing that Jesus is better than anything. Now, what is the very next thing Matthew does? He goes to seminary. No, he doesn't do that. That wasn't in the text. Did you not read? No. What's the very next thing he does? He gets some training in a van. No. He doesn't do any of that. You know what what he does? He has people over to his house. Okay? Look, Look at verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, how do we know it's Matthew's house? Again, Matthew doesn't like to brag on himself, but Luke doesn't mind. Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verse um, 29, and Levi, oh, by the way, Matthew, Levi, same guy, right? This happens in the Bible a lot. Jesus will rename people. They'll have two names. So Simon became Peter, uh, Saul became Paul, Abram became Abraham, right? You get that, right? So Matthew and Levi, Levi, same guy, all right? So uh, uh, verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large number of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him so so luke gives us the information that this was this was matthew's house so matthew matthew's and his tax office jesus says follow me matthew follows him and immediately matthew goes home and he makes a great feast and he invites all of his scandalous friends to come and he introduces them to jesus this is a great example of how the kingdom is supposed to work Matthew right away, he doesn't, he doesn't think, okay, do I know any church people? No, Matthew doesn't do that. He, he invites who? The Bible says, to other ta- many tax collectors and sinners. Scandalous people. People that, 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 you know, if you were with, other people would get out their phones. You know, can you believe that? I mean, that, that's who Matthew invites. And it is a great example of how the kingdom is supposed to work. Now, please understand, Matthew, once again, does not have any training. So many times when you start talking about the mission of God in the church, when you start talking about inviting people to Jesus, what what do we all want to do? Think of our excuses, right? I don't have any training. You know, I don't know all the Bible. Do you think Matthew knew the Bible? He's been saved 10 minutes. He did not know the Bible. In fact, most scholars will tell you that a tax collector, it was against the law for him to go to the synagogue. He couldn't even go to church. He didn't know the Bible. He didn't have any training. What does Matthew have? Let's be real clear about this. Matthew has a house. Matthew has a barbecue grill. He's got a Traeger. Top of the line, he's had money. And Matthew has lost friends. That's all you need. House, Traeger, lost friends. And what does he do? He brings them in and uses them for the kingdom. Man, I'm telling you, the thing that I really want to, want to happen today is that there are some of you that are so positioned 
to do great things in the kingdom and I just don't think you know it. You know, what you have is, you have two things. You have met Jesus. You know who Jesus is. You know that he's better than anything. You've turned from your idols and you've come. And the other thing that you have that is so valuable, you have friends that need him. Man, I'm telling you, that, I'm so jealous of you sometimes. You know, when, when I, man, when I, when I worked in, in a secular industry in Kansas and Kansas City and other places I lived before I became a pastor, so many opportunities to share the gospel. So, so many guys that I was connected to that desperately needed Jesus. I've lived here 21 years, so I know a lot of people, but they also know me and they know that I'm a pastor and that's like having leprosy, you know? And I was, I was so jealous. I, I, I said this Tuesday. Tuesday I was meeting with, with one of my group of guys on Tuesday morning. And uh, anyway, we were studying the Bible. We, and there's always another group kind of over across from us, just a group of business guys from the community. I, I actually didn't, I knew, I knew one of their names. I didn't know any of the others. And so I'm asking my guys there, you know, real discreetly. I'm like, hey, who is that? You know, who is that? And what does he do? And I, you know, because I want in there. I want in that group, you know, but I don't know any of them, and they don't know me, and if they didn't know me, the one that didn't, you know. But you, know you know what really gets me? All of those guys, all of them walk by, and they say hi to Casey Shaw. Casey Shaw is in that group, and I mean, every oil field guy, every mechanic guy, they all want to come up and, you know, rib Casey. You know how guys do. What are you doing, worthless? You know, you need nothing today. You know, they, they all want to do that with Casey, you know. And, and I'm there at the table and I got your Bible and I'm like the little dog, you know. I'm like, hey, hey, me, hey, hey, I'd like to be your friend. Hey, hey, hey. You know, they could be less interested in me. They don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to Casey. Ah. <sighs> Some of you guys have that. And Casey uses it for the glory of God. I've seen him do it over and over again. And I'm telling you, if you don't, that makes me a little mad at you. If God's given you this connection with a whole bunch of lost people, a whole bunch of people that desperately need Jesus, you ought to be using that. I don't, have an, I don't know enough about the Bible. Quit doing that. Do you have a house? Do you have a barbecue grill? Can you invite people over and tell them that you have found the best thing? And it's Jesus. That's exactly what Matthew does. Now, this makes the religious people mad. Okay, look at verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, First of all, again, who are the Pharisees? Well, here's how I would describe the Pharisees. They are the expert rule keepers of the Jewish religion, okay? So they, they keep the rules better than anybody else. They make rules, okay? They, they make up rules. They make up ceremonies and rituals and standards. They are super committed to their own rule keeping and comparing themselves to everybody else and always coming out on top, always coming out as looking better, being better, being more religious, being better people, being gooder than everybody else, even though they have missed. They have missed, they've missed the big thing, okay? And we're going to see that in a minute. They, they, God's command that you should love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love others yourself, they completely missed that one. But they get, you know, 
be at the synagogue, read the scriptures, memorize the verses, you know, give this much money. They, they've got all those. They've got all the other rules down. They just don't love God and they don't love people. But they're the rule keepers. So what, what's, their, what's their beef with Jesus eating with sinners? Well, they're like, hey, why are you eating with That's, That looks bad. You shouldn't be doing that. You're going you're gonna to get a disease, you know. It's going to rub off. You're going to get a bad reputation. And Jesus does, by the way. Did you know Jesus got a bad reputation for this? If you go forward a couple chapters, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, he got a reputation, bad reputation for this. But you know what they're afraid of? See, the Pharisees, in their mind, if you interact socially with sinners, you must be sinning. That, that, that's what they thought. If you interact socially with sinners, then you must be sinning. You must be soft on sin. Here's the deal. Jesus is not interested in sin. Jesus is not there at that party, you know, rubbing elbows with the tax collectors saying, hey, you know, how can I get me one of them uh, tax offices, you know? Uh, I don't have any money, but would you let me in on something? Can I go to work for you? He's not there. He's not there trying to hang around with immoral women so that he can indulge his fleshly desires. Jesus is not interested in sin. Jesus is interested in people. He's interested in people knowing God. He, he has a mission. He's not trying to be cool. He's not worried about being liked. He's not worried about being an in crowd. Jesus loves sinners and he has compassion on them and he wants to give them the best thing. He's not soft on sin. He's calling them to repent from sin. You see, the question of the Pharisees implies to them there is no reason to socialize with sinners except to partake in sin. See, in their mind, that, that's a, why would you want to eat with sinners? See, in their mind, the only reason is you must want to sin. You, you know what they completely lacked? Mission. Mission. They didn't get that at all. First of all, they didn't get Jesus, but, but they certainly didn't get mission. They didn't get that Jesus said in Luke 19, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Luke 19, 10. The Son of Man, that's why he came. That's his mission. They had no concept of that. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing you and I have to understand. Jesus' mission is our mission. Now, we're not going to die for anybody on the cross. Only Jesus had to do that. But we are, we have been commissioned to take up his, his mission. 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors of Christ, appealing to the world to be reconciled to God. Matthew 28, he told us to go. You go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you are my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Whenever you find a Christian without a mission, you start getting this Pharisee stuff. Whenever you find a Christian without a mission, that's when things go off the rails. You know, they start, okay, we're going to be holy. We're going to be like God. You know, we're not going to be like those sinners. But whenever, whenever there's an absence of loving people to Jesus, we become like this guy here, these Pharisees. If we, if we lose our sense of mission. Matthew had a bunch of friends just like him. He invites them over. He fixes a meal. He has a feast, it says in Luke 5, and he introduces them to Jesus. That is an incredibly effective biblical model to advance the kingdom. Now, let's talk about friends for a little bit, okay? Because here's something you're going to have to grapple with. A lot of people see it as a contradiction. I actually do not, okay? Let, let, me, let, me, let me explain why, okay? <clears throat> so here's what ought to happen when you become a believer. What ought to happen when you become a believer 
is you ought to be drawn like gravity to other believers. Why? Why why am I saying that? Friendship is based on loving the same things. Isn't it? Isn't that what friendship is based on? Right? Friendship is based on common love. So whenever you, whenever you turn away from, from your idols and from sin and put your faith in Jesus and you come to love him more than anything and you come to love the Bible and you come to love worship and you come to love the glory of God, what do you want to do? You want to hang out with other people that do the same, right? Like you, you want to join with others who love the same thing, right? And so it's absolutely the biblical model that when you become a believer, you seek out spiritual friendships. You seek out people to, to read the Bible with, to, to, to be encouraged in the scriptures, to encourage, to be accountable, to worship together, to be on mission together. You seek that out, okay? So that, that's going to mean that as believers, some of the closest relationships in your life are going to be with other people that love Jesus and are on the same mission that you are in. I, I don't have a category. I don't, I don't know how to explain somebody that does not do that. Uh, like I, I just I don't think there's a biblical model for that. There's not a biblical model for the person that says, "Man, I, I'm turning away from my sin and putting my faith in Jesus. I'm, bra- I'm embracing Him and all that He is. I believe that He's the best thing ever. But I have no interest in hanging out with, in knowing, in worshiping with, in studying the Bible with, in being accountable with, in 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 being on mission with any other believers. I, there is no biblical category for that person. So you ought to be pressed together in what we call Christ-centered relationships. It's the reason we have Sunday school. It's the reason we have small groups. We're we're trying to to, to, to prod or start the engine of that in your life, okay? But what do we do then with verses like 1 Corinthians 15, 33 that says bad company corrupts good morals? What do we do with Proverbs 13, 20? Um, I, I, uh, I say this with my kids about three times a week. We rotate verses through in the morning. And so this is one of ours that makes it about three times a week. It says he who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So how do we mesh we're supposed to be in spiritual relationships with other believers. And the Bible warns us that you walks with the wise, becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. How do we mesh that with being also a friend of sinners? Okay? How, how do we put those together? Some people just don't. Some people, they, they pick the Pharisee option. We only hang out with Christians. We're not friends with any unbelievers. We don't ever invite them over. I don't think that's a good biblical model. Other people, scrap, they go the other way. I'm going to keep all my old friends. I'm not interested in church people. I want Jesus. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to be in a Bible study. I don't want to be to the church. I'm not going to be in a small group. I'm not going to cultivate relationships. I tried. Those people hurt my feelings. I thought they were perfect angels. Who told you that, you know? I don't know where people get this stuff. No, no, no. We got to bring those two together. Now, how do we bring those two together? You need to be friends of sinners with the right motive. You see, your motive of being a friend of a sinner is incredibly important, okay? Now, if, if your motive is that you want to be cool, that's going to go badly. That will go badly for your kids. If they, if they want to be a friend, a close friend to, to a lost person because they want to be cool because that person's cool and that person's like and that person accepted it, if that's their reason, they're going to be pulled away from Jesus, okay? Uh, pulled away from at least good living, righteous living. If their motive is hey, I am attracted to that sinful pleasure, that sinful lifestyle, so I want to hang out so I can be close to that, that's going to go bad. But if your motive is, I have the best thing in all the universe, and I love those people, and I want them to have it too, you're fine. 
You'll be fine. You can be a friend of sinners and you will be fine. The, the other exhortation I would give you that is incredibly biblical is you ought to go together with other believers. Hey, we're going to see this. In the next chapter, Jesus sends out the disciples. How do you think he sends them out? He sends them out in teams. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus is eating with sinners, with tax collectors and sinners, you know what he's, who's with him? His disciples. You see, there's an incredible, strong biblical model for doing mission together. It's one of the things we want to happen in your small groups. We, we want, in your small groups, we want you to be on mission together. We want you to be trying to reach your community. You put, you put 15 people together in a room, they've each got 15 little pockets of friends and relatives and neighbors, and, and the perfect small group setting is when you're all trying to reach those pockets of people, you know? Hey, how's your brother? I've been praying for you. I, know, I knew you were going to talk to him. Hey, let me go with you. Let, let's, let's take him fishing together. You know, hey, how's your boss? How's your neighbor? How's your coworker? I, let, let's go. Let's, I'll go over with you. You know, let's invite him to go motorcycle riding. Let's invite him to go golfing. Let's go shopping with her. Man, that, that's the model. So as long as your motive is right, and I believe as to the best of your ability, you're pulling other people into that, I, I, I think you will be fine. You'll be fine because it is your mission to go. Now, the Pharisees had no concept of mission because they had no mercy. Okay, whenever you got no mercy, you're not going to have any mission. All right, listen to what Jesus says to these guys. Verse 12, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So the first thing he says there is he says, man, don't you know doctors hang out with six people? <laughs> you know, does, it, does anybody wonder why Dr. Kirkendall spends a lot of time with sick people? You know, anybody, is that a mystery to anybody? It ought not be a mystery, okay? And Jesus says, it ought not be a mystery why a spiritual doctor spends time with spiritually sick people. And then Jesus says this. He says, you need to go learn what this means. It's taught in the Old Testament, Hosea 6.6. 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, God's saying, you know what I want from you? It's not sacrifice. See, all the Pharisees had, they were, they were great sacrificers, right? They, they were great at the rules. They were great at, here's what we're doing for you, God. We are, we are reading our Bible every day. We're memorizing all these scriptures. We're going to, uh, to the synagogue. We're, we're giving this much money. We're keeping ourselves clean. We're not hanging around with these people. They were great at that, but they did not have mercy. They didn't have love. You see, folks, if, you're, if, you're, if your brand of Christianity is, hey, I go to church every week, I read my Bible, you know, I don't, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't do this, I, I got all that stuff covered. But you don't love people. You have no mercy for the lost. You have no compassion for the sinner. You don't have God's heart. That's a problem. That's a big, scary problem, actually. To not have God's heart is a scary problem. They did not have compassion. Look at the last thing he says. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I was talking with my daughter, Haven, my, my, my 10-year-old. Uh, yesterday morning, I think it was, we were looking at this passage together, and, and uh, she, she asked a great question. She said, Dad, is, is he saying that the Pharisees are righteous? And, 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 you know, the other, the tax collectors are sinners. And so he just came, he didn't, 
I was like, actually, no, I don't think he's saying that. Now, why do I not think he's saying that? Well, what did Jesus just say in Matthew 5? Matthew 5, 20 says, For if I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He just said they're not righteous in Matthew 5, 20. He said, you got to do better than that or you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember that passage in Luke that I, I, I brought you to, Luke 18, about the, the two guys that come to the church, come to the temple, the Pharisee and the tax guy? Let me read the rest of that. I stopped halfway. So remember he said, I thank you, I'm not like that guy, an extortioner, unjust, adulterer, this tax collector. Verse 12, Luke 18, 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what Jesus just said? He said that Pharisee that pointed at the tax collector and said, I'm glad that I don't extort people like that guy. I'm glad that I'm not immoral. I'm glad that I'm not an adulterer. I'm glad that I'm not unjust like that guy. Guy, I'm glad I do all these religious things, God. Jesus, you know what Jesus said? That guy went to hell. That's exactly what he said in Luke 18. That guy went to hell. The tax collector who stood over in the corner and beat his breast and said, God, I am broken. I am a sinner. I have no hope of salvation except you, God. I throw myself on your mercy. That guy went to heaven. So I don't think he's saying... The Pharisees are the righteous ones. I think what he's saying is the Pharisees think they're the righteous ones. Okay? Now, now do you remember what Jesus said? I came to call, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. In fact, do you know what the Bible says? Romans 3.10. None is righteous, no, not one. So essentially what Jesus is saying is, if you think you're righteous, I'm not coming for you. You see, the, the first step of the gospel, step number one, is to realize you are broken and in desperate need. The first step of the gospel is to realize that every inclination of your sinful heart is bent the wrong way. And if you never get there, Jesus is not for you. He's not for you. If you don't ever get to the point where you're like, I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am, I'm in desperate need of Jesus. That's the first step. But here's the good news. If, if you come to Jesus broken, acknowledging your own sin, you are welcome in this sight. See, the only people not welcome with Jesus are those that think, they're not sinners. Somebody in northwest Oklahoma has been spreading a terrible lie. If we can find that person, we're going to take them out and do something terrible. I don't know what we're going to do to them, but it's going to be bad. Here's the lie. Christianity is only for good people. I can't tell you how many people in northwest Oklahoma believe that. Finish this sentence. If I've heard this one time, I've heard it a thousand. And I bet you have as well. Man, if I come to that church, the roof would fall in, lightning would strike, earthquake. 
What, what's behind that? What, what are they saying? I'm too bad for Jesus. Christianity is only for good people. Who told them that? It was not Jesus. Jesus is the guy who is reclining on the couch with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is the guy that said, I come to save the lost. He's the guy that said, I didn't come for the righteous. I come for the sinner. And we know what he means by that. I come for those who realize they're sinners. Folks, it's a lie from hell. It is against the truth of the scriptures to think that Christianity is for good people. It's not. Christianity is for desperate sinners who know that they are hopeless to be right with God or to live righteously on their own. That's who Christianity's for. Jesus will save you. He will clean you up as well. But the only way that he's for you is when you realize your absolute need for him. If you're here this morning and you've been living this I'm a good person thing, man, that will lead only to hell. But if you're here this morning and, and you realize you're broken, you, you can't get to heaven on your own. You can't be right with God. Your heart is, is inclined the wrong way. Jesus is for you. And he's, he's inviting you, follow me, follow me. If you have followed him today, then I, I, I need to tell you this. You are being disobedient if you're not in the mission of God. And I know some of you are going to say, you're going to say, well, I don't know enough. I don't have enough verses. Memorized. I don't, I. All you need is to open up your life to lost people and introduce them to Jesus. That's all you need to do. You say, well, I don't have a big house like Matthew. I don't have a Traeger. I did not know Gary and Carol Williams um, when I came here to pastor. Those of you who don't know this, Gary and Carol started this church back in the, it was the early 1900s, I believe. No, it was 1980. <laughs> it, was not, it was early 1980s. They started this church. They were here for 14 years. And then they, God moved them to some other places, and now we're so thankful to have them back with us. But I started hearing about Gary and Carol from those that they had won to Jesus. And you know one of the things that I heard most often? Uh, I heard this from Ed Evans over and over and over and over again. He would talk about how he came to faith and how he grew as a believer at the Williams house as they were eating. What, what Ed? What were you eating? Weenies. That's right. Weenies. Hot dogs. One of, the, one of the spiritual formations of Ed and Marilyn Evans was hot dogs at the Williams. Now, I know some of you are so good at excuses. I can hear it already. I don't have any hot dogs. Hey, listen. If you will invite your lost friends over, we will make sure you get hot dogs, okay? I may, I may regret that. I know Ed can eat a lot of hot dogs. But I, I, I really, I mean, if that's your obstacle, really, if that's your obstacle is, man, if, if you had hot dogs, you'd invite some lost people over and introduce them to Jesus, the church will find a way to get you some hot dogs, okay? We will get that done. But you ought to be on mission. Why? Because you ought to know God's mercy. If you're a believer here today, you ought to know God's mercy. 
He says, go, he tells these guys, go learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You need to love God, and the love of God inside of you is going to cause you to love other people. It's going to cause you not to be judgmental and want to stay away from the bad people, but it's going to want you, it's going to make you want to go to the bad people and tell them how Jesus can make them good. Father, please help us with this. God, please, uh, I pray that you would draw in those who need to follow you. God, if there are those here today that are trying to live on their own righteousness, God, I pray that you'd show them that. That's just really rejecting Jesus. God, show them that you will save them, that you will make them righteous with your own righteousness. Father, I, I ask you, God, to put us on mission for you. God, send us out. Lord, help us to cultivate relationships with people who desperately need you. Help us to introduce them to you. You're the best thing, Jesus. You're the best thing. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to sing together.